This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. I don't know if you know these cliches. I'm going to give you a few cliches because the cliche is always a good place to start. That wasn't us out there today. Have you ever heard like a sports coach or a, a, a player say that in a, after they've lost a game? It's a great cliche. It wasn't us out there today. Well, who was it? Uh, what about this one? Oh, that was... That behavior was so out of character. It's the, uh, the parent who, uh, who's usually obedient child uh, has just unexpectedly been sent to the principal's office. I don't know what came over me. It's the cliche from the uh, feeling very contrite spouse uh, after they uh, just had a big argument about something pretty petty. Uh, maybe, maybe you know this one. You're not you when you're hungry, the Snickers ad. Um, what, are the, what are all these cliches have in common? They're about uh, this kind of wrestle that we have with our sense of self, of kind of going, I know who I think I am, but the way that I just acted was not me, or at least it wasn't consistent with my sense of self. Uh, there's this sort of thing of like, I know in my heart of hearts that I have, I have this true self deep down inside me. And I think that my actions should come out of that true me. So when I act in a way that is inconsistent with who I think I am, I, I kind of have to wrestle with that. Am I someone different to who I thought I was? Or is there something else going on? And particularly, uh, I'm speaking to you this morning, if you as I know a lot of you have, if you've been a Christian a long, long time, you might feel uh, like another very famous Christian. Uh, you've probably heard of him. Uh, his name is Paul. Uh, he wrote a whole lot of letters that are in our Bible. And he, he wrote this. Uh, this is in Romans seven nineteen. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And actually, in that same passage, he goes on to say, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, yeah, my true self, deep down, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see this other work, other law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man. I am. It's pretty autobiographical, it's pretty raw, it's pretty real. Uh, I'm glad that those words are in here, because uh, I feel like that sometimes. I don't know if you do. I mean, I try to do the right thing all the time, every day, but I don't always succeed. Does anyone else feel like that? Okay, good. I'm not alone. Whew. thought this is a, a, bit, a bit scary, isn't it? You know, we, we know what the right thing is, and we want to do that right thing, and then in those strange moments, when we're not ourselves, we do something that seems out of character, and we wonder, what, what just happened there? What went wrong? Uh, but actually, we don't have to wonder what went wrong. Uh, we know, if you're a Christian, you know where that out-of-character behavior 
is coming from. Uh, I want to read to you uh, a passage from the book of Romans as well. Uh, this was a chapter earlier than the one I just read and a bit longer. So if you want to grab a Bible, I'm going to be reading Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Uh, this passage, I don't know how much of that you could take in on the first reading. Uh, this passage is part of a really dense, complicated argument that Paul is laying out and kind of word by word, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter, he's building up uh, a bigger point. Um, so, we're kind of dipping in right in the middle. Uh, I do commend you to read the rest of the context. We don't have time this morning. But he wants to define, I think he wants to define the Christian life to these Roman Christians. He wants to lay it all out in a systematic way. What does it actually look like to be a Christian? Or maybe we could, we could tie this in uh, to what we've been talking about the last few weeks. What does it actually look like to receive the love of the Father? as Travis preached two weeks ago. What does it mean to receive the life of Jesus, as Lewis preached about last week? What does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? Uh, I'm looking forward to that next week with Adam Holland. He's going to be preaching on that. In the midst of all that, what really happens to us? What does it actually look like in real life, in practice, to go from being a normal human being to being a Christian human being. Does anything change? And if so, what? And how? And how does it all fit together and how does it all work? 
Here, in chapter 6, Paul is saying that receiving the loving grace of God in Jesus doesn't give us license to keep on living the same way we did before. It might appear that it does at first glance. It might appear that because grace is free and God forgives us and promises to continue to forgive us when we sin, that means it doesn't matter how you live and you can sin as much as you want and you have free license to live whatever life you want to live. But actually, Paul says, the very fact that you have been forgiven ought to make you think, well, I've changed. I had an old life, and now I've started a new one. And the old life had things in it that needed fixing. Those things have been forgiven, so why would I keep doing them now? My whole identity has been transformed. My old life was one of being enslaved. That's how Paul puts it, enslaved by my own desires. I didn't have any ability in myself to live a life that was truly living. I could only live a life that was truly death. Uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul, Paul lo- loves this topic. He brings it up a lot in other places as well. I just want to take us one other place, which is Ephesians chapter 4. He says to the Ephesian Christians, similar to what he says to the Romans, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off that old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That's a very pithy little phrase, isn't it? Corrupted by its deceitful desires. Our old selves, our our selves before we came to know the salvation of Jesus, that self is being corrupted by its own deceitful desires. What is deceitful about the desire to sin? Well, the deceit is that the desire says, this is good, it will make you feel good, it will make your life good. Does that make sense? And we know that that's a lie, that's deceitful, because it doesn't make your life good, it makes your life worse. The desire in your heart is deceitful. We think that by getting what we want, we will become happy. And Paul says that that is not just deceitful, it's a kind of slavery. We are enslaved by those deceitful desires and unable to escape from these cycles, these habits. We can't say no after a while. So, what replaces that? Well, he goes on to say, put on the new self. The new self is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In Romans 6, Paul frames this idea around the resurrection. The old life is a life of death, like Jesus dying on the cross, and the new life is a life of resurrection, like Jesus rising from the tomb. And he connects all that with the idea of baptism. Uh, I don't know if you've seen 
uh, a baptism take place. Uh, I think most of you here probably have because it's a Baptist church and we're into that kind of thing. Um, in a proper baptism, how many people have offended so far? All right, keep going. In a proper baptism, the person who is being baptized goes down into a body of water and then comes back up into the air again. There's a down into the grave and an up into new life kind of visual going on in that kind of baptism. Uh, That's the kind of baptism that John the Baptist uh, was into in the Jordan River. Uh, It's the kind of baptism that uh, a lot of the baptisms that you read about in the book of Acts look like. The the ceremony of a baptism is almost like a reenacting of Jesus' death and resurrection. And what Paul is saying here in Romans 6 is that we are spiritually baptized when we become a Christian, even before the water thing might happen, uh, or even if the water thing already happened, but you didn't really believe it back then. He's saying that in a spiritual sense, we are united with Jesus' death and united with Jesus' resurrection. And it looks like a water baptism of a person as they are united with Jesus, their old life is put to death on a cross and their new life is raised to eternal life with His resurrection. We are united with Jesus' death as our old selves die and we are united with Jesus' resurrection as our new lives begin. Does that make sense? I think, I think I've navigated that slightly controversial point. So, let's have a look, because um, uh, Paul does this sort of thing here in Romans 6, if you've still got it open there, where all the way through the passage I read, he keeps flicking between the two selves, the two lives, the two mindsets, the two attitudes. He goes back and forth, back and forth. So, what we're going to do, if you'll bear with me, is we're going to draw out all of the phrases that refer to the old self, and we're going to look at them all, and how we respond to that old life being crucified and dead and buried, and then we're going to look at all the new phrases. So, this isn't, we're not going to go through it in the order that Paul wrote it, we're going to kind of pick things out. So, if you do have it in front of you, you'll you'll be able to keep up, I think. Uh, So, Romans 6, Actually, I've got some of them on the screen here. So, if you don't have it in front of you, you'll be okay. Verses 3 and 4a, I won't read all of four, say this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death. Or in verse 5, starts like this. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, I'll just stop there because the next half of that verse we'll come back to in a second. Or the first half of verse 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So there's this kind of idea building up here about an old life that has been crucified, that is dead, that is 
buried. And I think sometimes we think that our old life, that, that voice that tempts us to do something, or maybe that just makes, seems to just make us do something that we don't want to do, it seems really alive, it seems really active, it seems to be speaking to us and pushing us. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that self is as good as dead. Uh, he used, uh, over in verse 11, he says, count yourself, count yourselves dead to sin. That word count, uh, it might be consider in other translations, kind of words like that. Um, it, it actually comes from the Greek word where we get our word logic. Uh, it's a word that they used in accounting. Are there any accountants in the room? Um, a couple, that's good. Accounting, uh, we're going we're to get into some more accounting in the focus meeting, stay back for that. Um, but accounting was a big thing in the ancient world too. And they had to do everything by hand. And so they'd add up all the figures. And that counting is what this word comes from. Uh, what Paul is saying is you should add up what you know to be true and draw a line under it and say, this is the sum total of what God has told me is true. What is truly, truly true? I am dead to sin. Which means that, uh, to take a different analogy, sin is not your king. Sin cannot tell you what to do. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't let it. He says, don't offer yourself, don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. And finally, in verse 14, he says, sin shall no longer be your master. That's good news. It's good to know that you don't have to be mastered by that old self, that you don't have to do what it says. Because, in with the new, yeah, out with the old, in with the new, told you the cliches this morning. Let's have a look at these. So these are all the bits I skipped before. Let's go back, double back, for the second half, verse 4, uh, says, what's up there? Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. Yeah, verse 5 started off talking about being united with Him in a death like His, but goes on to say we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. That count yourself idea in verse 11, count yourself dead to sin, but also count yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourself alive. Offer yourself to God, in verse 13. Offer every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. That verse 14, where he said, sin shall no longer be your master, finishes, because 
You are not under law, but under grace. Now, I wonder how you're sitting with this. We've got to a kind of a crossroads here. Uh, Some of you, I think, are with me, and some of you are like, I'm not quite with you. You haven't convinced me yet, because I feel like I've heard this sermon before, and I know I'm going to go home and do something stupid. (laughs) So how does it work? How do we draw deeply from that new identity? Uh, I was tempted to do a demonstration with some water on the stage. Uh, I'll leave that to you, Travis. You've you've got it down pat. I didn't want to make a mess. Um, I thought you could have two jugs, or maybe two taps in a wall. Uh, And one of the taps is the old self, and it's an old, rusty, old, scungy-looking tap maybe you have in the back of your garden. And there's a new one that's just been installed right next to it. Uh, And you can still see, you know, where the silicon's kind of smeared on the wall next to it. Uh, Like it's... And you know that the new tap has clean water and the old tap has dirty water. I think that what happens is that when that new tap gets installed, you've got a kind of muscle memory that you go, I'm thirsty, I'll go to the tap and I'll get a drink. And you just go to the tap you've always gone to every time and you get the dirty water out. And then you go, oh, I forgot the new tap was put in. I think that's what we do. We kind of have a muscle memory, a kind of automatic reaction that, is, that we go back to what we know. And we are still a kind of work in progress. Even if you've been a Christian for decades, it's still there. That old habit dies hard. Another cliche. It's good, isn't it? In a very real way, there is a new you inside of you. And that new you is actually more real than the old you, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And living out of the overflow of the new identity means a a continual reminding yourself of who you really are, a continual counting yourself, your old self, to be dead and buried and gone, and a continual counting yourself to be newly alive in God. And I actually think that the continual refusal to obey sin in your life and the continual offering of yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness, I love that phrasing, that can become a new habit, slowly but surely, where it becomes more and more automatic, that when those two taps are presented to you and you want to draw another glass of water, that you go to the new one more than the old one because you're forming that new habit. But more than that, the Holy Spirit is forming the new habit in you. The Holy Spirit will whisper to you and go, no, not that tap. 
the other one, just at the right moment, if you listen. I think it's worth reminding ourselves every day, it's not you, it's not the real you that's making you sin, it's the old self. These old behaviors, these old habits, they're not you anymore. Do you remember those words from Ephesians? Put on the new self. There's an active verb there. Put on the new self. There's a sense in which it is put on you by God. But there's another sense where it is up to you to put it on. It's not one or the other. It's kind of both those things. There's a sense in which we choose to be the new us, the real us. But it takes that work of being reminded by the Spirit, by one another, by the Word, by sticky note you leave on your fridge, whatever works for you, to continue to put that new self on more and more and more. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.com. Dot info.